Thank God it's Free Range. You are listening to Free Range Radio Friday with your host, Michael Elves. Pour yourself a beverage and turn up the volume because here on 101.5 UMFM, the weekend starts now.
101.5 UMFM, this is Thank God It's Free Range, the Friday edition of Free Range Radio. I'm Michael Lousen, kicking things off for us tonight. Fresh Start, new single from The Revival, gets its release tomorrow night at the Pyramid Cabaret uh, at a special 10-year memorial for Alex D. Daniluk. Uh, we're going to be talking to the band and organizers in just a few minutes after one more track uh, from Bright Righteous, their new single, Wasteland. Uh, also on the bill for tomorrow night's event. Uh, coming up later in the show, I taped an interview earlier this week with Misha and the Spanks uh, following a live session they did here at the station. Uh, so we're going to play the tracks from the live session. We got that interview and a lot of new music. Keep it locked here on 101.5 UMFM.
All right. Well, keep shining the 10-year memorial of Alex D. Danilik happening at the Pyramid on Saturday. The Noble Thieves and Show Pony in support of the Revival and Bright Righteous. I've got Bo Danilik and Jay Jensen on the phone to talk about it. Welcome to the show. Hi there. How's it going? Well, thanks for having us, Michael. Good afternoon. My pleasure. Uh, thanks for taking some time. I know you guys are uh, busy getting ready to sound check and, and get things ready for this show. Uh, let's let's talk a little bit about the the organization because I mean, this is this is an album release at the at the same time that it's a memorial concert. Like, was was the album coming anyway, and it just timed out that it that it happened to kind of line up with having this memorial? So the album we had been sitting on for a couple of years, and. The band kind of disbanded a few years ago, and Kevin and I, the singer, mm-hmm. uh, we moved to Los Angeles, and over some time, we've been waiting for the right opportunity to release it, and the 10th anniversary of Alex's passing was coming up, and so we talked to Boris, and we all thought it'd be a great idea to throw another Keep Shining event, and then let all that music out that he even was a part of. Actually, yeah, Michael, today is 420, and Alex's funeral was on 420 10 years ago exactly today. Right, we're taping this the, the day before it airs. Uh, so uh, let's let's talk about Alex. I mean, uh, obviously, Boris, I mean, your, your child, this is a direct impact in terms of reminiscing and, and thinking about him. Keeping, keeping it alive through this music, is, is that an important kind of avenue for, for you? Yeah, well, my wife and I set up a charitable foundation after Alex passed away, and we give out music scholarships. And uh, the benefit, we used to have it annually, and then when COVID came and a few other things happened. So we haven't had the benefit in four years. And I'd like to add that some of our scholarship recipients were students in the jazz program at the U of M, like Max Osawa and Tachana Harris-Chuk, who have gone on to become professional musicians. And it gives us great pleasure that we were able to contribute and help with their education. Absolutely. Uh, to, to see that musical impact kind of spread further afield, I, I have to imagine, is, is rewarding. Music's one of those things that uh, everyone loves, and to be able to have Alex's songs that he helped write be on this album and to finally get out there is just a very good thing, and it just shows the many avenues that it'll take for music and the impact it can have and what he had on people's lives, like with the scholarship, like Forrest mentioned, and now printing these CDs and all the people that are going to come and celebrate him and the music he was a part of. It's just really cool. And like me and Kevin still have a career on this and it all started with him. And it's so it's really important to us to like honor him and keep his memory alive. I think he plays a couple of tracks on the album too. We were in pre- pre-production for an album when Alex passed away. So it's been a long time coming and I'm glad we're finally where we're at. Now, Jay, you mentioned the the album was put to bed a couple of years ago, but obviously the the, the music that, that Alex was involved with, you know, dates back ten years. Like, how long did you guys sit on those songs, and like, did, did you just kind of have to come to a place where you were ready to to finish those songs with him in that sense? Well, we went through lineup changes, and we became Bright Righteous after the revival, and some of the songs didn't really work with the sound we were going for, mm-hmm. so it kind of just didn't make sense. And then we put things behind us and for better or for worse, sat on the songs. And now we're happy to be in a place where it feels like the right time. The, so, like, did, was there any, like, psychological hurdle to kind of going back to those songs that he'd been involved with? Uh, nothing bad, all good. Like, okay. it, it's interesting, because I'll listen to some of these songs, and it's almost like a 
you can see the trajectory of us through the music and what we, how we, like all the changes we had. And there's definitely a lot of emotions. Like there's a song particular, particularly on there that he um, started with my, us at pre-production and it was really special for us at the time. We didn't know what it was going to be or become. And then we wrote it after he died and it's dedicated to him. It's about him it's called Carry On. And so whenever I hear that song now, there's some parts in it that just like I get shivers and it's, it takes me right back. It's crazy, actually. It's like a time machine, this whole album. I think, isn't that going to be the last song? At the show? No. No? No. Okay. <laughs> well, uh, I want to debate. Okay, you Still to, to be sorted out. Lots lots to hash out. Like we said, you guys are having sound checks and, and figuring things out. And, and, and so we have the lead singer for the, from the band. Hello. Hi there. How's it going? Good. How you doing? Good. Uh, welcome to the show. Uh, we're just talking about about the record and and about about this show this weekend. In, in terms of you know living a further afield now and coming back for this, like how truncated a, a prep time is this for for the band to to get things ready for a show? To get ready for the show, I, it's 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 really a, a crunch, but I'm uh, I'm confident in these guys' skill. They're all professionals, and I know that. Uh, that the show is going to go off with without a without a flaw. So, um, yeah, these guys have been doing it for years, and it, it, these songs are kind of just like embedded in us. Just got to shake off the rust a little bit, and uh, we'll be good to go. And uh, eleven hours of rehearsing today. <laughs> yeah, <that'll do> <laughs> yeah, I was going to ask because if you've had the the record put to bed for a couple of years, I mean that doesn't mean you've necessarily been playing those songs at any point during those years. Like, is it just like? really kind of going deep on them right now just to kind of like r- refresh yourself as to where you were when you created them and, and kind of get back to the point at which you can play them? Yeah, that's actually a perfect description of it. I, I, it kind of brings us back to when we were recording the songs. We had to go over and over and over and over them. Um, grueling hours of just trying to get the parts right. And uh, and I guess that kind of embedded it in us. So once we start playing it, it's like it just it just falls into place. It's almost like muscle memory. Um, but yeah, it's uh, it's definitely bringing back those those memories as we're playing the songs. And uh, we've been listening to them a lot, um, uh, not playing them, but listening to them a lot. And um, while we were actually creating the album and putting it together and everything, so mm-hmm. it, that's almost practice in itself, especially for me doing the vocals. Now, Boris sent me the, some of the tracks, and I started the show off with Fresh Start and Wasteland, and I'm wondering what you can tell me about those two tracks. Fresh Start um, is one of my favorite songs that we've written as a band. I think it really show, showcases uh, Eric's guitar skills. Um, and uh, it's just got a, a, a really, like, feeling to the song. Uh, there's a lot of emotion behind it. Um, and uh, it just, it just, it's just a really fun song to play um, and listen to. Um, as for Wasteland, it's a bit more on the darker side of things. It's kind of, uh, it's a post-apocalyptic kind of song. Um, and there's a little story behind it. So I always kind of uh, think of that story as, uh, uh, as I'm singing the song. Um, so it's a fun one for me because I really enjoy it. Uh, you know, post-apocalyptic stuff for like watching TV and uh, and all that kind of stuff, comic books and stuff like that. So, um, get- I brought that 
to to the song in a sense. Um, so yeah, those those are those are great songs actually to choose. Do you guys write from a place of imagery? Like, do you think of a picture or tell a story in your head and then start writing lyrics to kind of convey what you're thinking about? Or what's I mean, d- it depends on the song. Sometimes. It really depends on the song, uh, if the song calls for it. Sometimes, like, the lyrics just come out, um, you know, just really quickly, and it all comes together really quickly, and we kind of get the song concept together. Other times, I've had songs like Graduation, where, uh, again, took me more on the darker side of things, and that song's actually about the Jonestown Massacre, and uh, I kind of just went... uh, headstrong into that and just dove right into it and and uh did my research i scattered a bunch of quotes uh throughout that song um of the final speech that he gave and everything like that so that um those types of songs are a little bit more telling a story uh and and diving more into um the story of the song but other times it's more of a, a collective writing where it um it either comes fast or comes slow. It really depends on the song. For sure. Now, uh, it's a busy lineup for this show. Uh, I mean, you got tweener sets, you got a drum circle, you got two supporting acts, and then, I mean, ostensibly two two different performances, the Revival and Bright Righteous, this, you know, this this record. How are you kind of figuring out the, like, the flow of this show? Well, you know what? We've actually have less musicians at this show as we've had before. I've had more acts before. Okay. We expect, kind of used to it. we expect about four hours of continuous music cause as the main stage is being changed over for acts. Then we have the tweeners playing. And we have a great tweener lineup with Travis McLean, Gary Gatch, Curtis Newton, Cabu, and Patrick Berrios. Uh, that's a father and son percussion uh, team that uh, my, my late son Alex was friends with. So we're we're really excited. We got Riley Saunders of the Village Idiots hosting. Mm-hmm. It's, gonna be a, it's gonna be a lot of fun. It's gonna be it's gonna flow nice, and we sort of make it up as we go along. So it's gonna be fun. And in true true Winnipeg yeah. fashion, all that and a CD for twenty five bucks. Bargain bargain prices. Yeah, <laughs> absolutely. Uh, I really get this this album in people's hands and their ears uh, as quickly as possible, and. Uh, just because it's been a, such a long time coming, um, and uh, I think this is kind of the best way to do it. Um, and you know, they're going to show their friends, and we're going to probably get a bunch of phone calls of people wanting more albums. But uh, they're not—they're not, they're not going to be in CD stores. So, <laughs> well, folks want to get their hands on it tomorrow night at the Pyramid Cabaret. Uh, we've got a link to buy tickets on umfm.com right now, and uh, and folks can go there. Uh, we're going to give folks a little more of a taste. Uh, I got sent two more tracks from Boris. Uh, I got Bright Righteous's A and the Rival La- Revival's Love is the Reason. Uh, we're going to close with those two. Guys, best of luck with the show, and thanks for taking some time out of your rehearsals. Thank you very much. Thank yeah, thanks for having us, Michael.
had a live session with Misha and the Spanx. Welcome to the show. Thanks. Thanks for having us. Nice to be back in Winnipeg. Pleasure to have you here. Yeah, pleasure to be back is, I mean, this is the touring now. Yeah. like Coming out of the throes of things. Totally. We haven't been in a van properly driving across Western Canada or Canada since pre-pandemic. We've done like weekenders and festivals, but being back on the road and doing that long drive to Winnipeg is very nostalgic and it was nice to be doing it again. And Winnipeg coming through with the nostalgia with the storm warning in the spring too. Oh yeah. We learned a new word yesterday, uh, Colorado low. Mm. Oh yeah. Yeah. Everyone who was anyone said that to us yesterday. <laughs> yeah, we so, heard it a lot. <laughs> so I don't know what that means. We think Colorado low is a thing you get at a truck stop from a band named Jerry, but I'm, uh, I'm excited to see what it really it's is. It's a special strain of the CBD. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> Uh, so in town, obviously, but uh, on on tour with the new record, Unconditional Love and Hi-Fi. Yes. Uh, you were saying, you know, kind of mid, mid-session mid there that this is like the first record since April 21. Yes. In terms of the genesis of the songs, right? Like, were the April 21 songs pre-March 2020 written or like, because I'm just trying to get a sense of like, kind of where things have been at with you and songwriting we were we were kept pretty busy during the pandemic so we started recording singles ep the last record in march 2020 and then had to put a pause on it until july 2020 and then released that that spring but we did lots of singles leading up to it kind of the same way that we've been doing this one Mm -hmm. and then september 21 we started recording this record with um dig me out and i can't wait while we were in europe playing some festivals that were like restricted, not restricted, like they're open again. And so we had, we couldn't really book tour dates, but we could do these festivals. So we had this time in between festivals. So we went to Brighton, UK and recorded with our producers from Girls, 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 Danny Ferrant, Paul Rawson. And we just did two songs to kind of kill some time and it became uh, the plans to do a record. So then in uh, April 22, we did four more songs and then in August, uh, 22 we finished the record so it was all kind of done in sections 
with separated songs and in different studios too. We did National Music Center in April and uh, OCL Studios in, Cal- in just outside of Calgary. So did you use all that crazy gear they have at the NMC? Yeah, so there's a lot of synth and stuff on this album. And we, were, we always kind of held back a bit to add too many things because we're like, well, what can we do live? And this record, we're like, you know what? Let's just do it all anyways, and we'll figure it out later. And so we have, have been figuring it out <laughs> to how to play this record oh, live. Oh, yeah, they got Tonto there. And for those of you who don't know what Tonto is, you should Google it because it is a whole room that is a synthesizer, and it looks cool. Tonto's not on this record. No, though. I know. As if we, as <laughs> but, if, but he's saying that's what they have at the end of the Yeah, 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 yeah no, I get what you're a, saying. A wild place to be. Yeah, um, I'm curious. Like, did you road test songs before for like prior albums? No, we don't. We don't usually. Well, I guess since we started working with Danny and Paul, so um, when we recorded "Girls, Girls, Girls" with them back in 2017, some of those songs were on the road, and we were in the middle of tour when we recorded it. And so we went into the studio, and they got like hacked up and rearranged, and then we had to go back on tour, and we're like, "Oh, these are different songs now." So we didn't knowing that we work more creatively with them in the studio. The songs that we have on this record were, were kind of written in studio. Like we kind of had the bones for them and then we were ready to rearrange them and and do, just do different things with them. So we weren't like already attached to how to play them before we went in. Right. So all of these are have been live after recording. Yeah, I was curious because I know some artists like the inability to tour meant they like couldn't gauge how a song would land. Right. And that was like yeah. that, that feedback loop was very much part of like oh, I need to hone this or, like, change this. It sounds like you just have a good sense of, like, what what works for you intrinsically or within the studio and then the figure it out after for the live thing Yes, is the challenge you present yourself. Yeah, we're always trying to catch up with the studio. The studio is, like, a fun place to be like, cool, let's add it all. Yeah, and And it's not like we stopped playing. Like, we still played shows after the studio, but the new songs weren't in the set yet because nobody knew them anyways. Mm -hmm. And so then we have to, like, remind ourselves to go work on how the record's going to be live. Yeah. It's, uh, well, and then all the stuff we did, like, we'd be playing shows, but a lot of it was, like, filmed for this festival and stuff like that. So it was, like, always a weird time to be trying out. Yeah, things, you know, so you're like, okay, no, let's stick with the hits. Missionless Banks plays the hits. <laughs> so, um, yeah. So recording the songs in chunks. I mean, obviously that's like out of necessity in terms of like what you have availability or like the spaces in which you do it. But does that, like, do you feel that all the songs kind of hang together, or can you identify like these are the songs from that spot and these are the songs from that time? You know what? I thought that that would be a bit the case. Like you could be like, these are National Music Center songs, and these are from. Bright and Electric, but when I listen to the whole album, like I, I find myself forgetting where we did which song, mm-hmm. and I'll be like, oh yeah, we only did this in my year when we were at the end of recording. And it's like, no, we did that in April. So it, they mixed it in such a way, because it was the same producers doing all the mixing, that it flows together really nicely, and I don't think it's distinctive. Like, yeah, like I, even I forget sometimes which one was done where. I think we caught magic at each one, yeah. if that makes sense, where it's like you're kind of... Um, you're like, oh gosh, that song was so. We, I can't believe we came up with that, and that would only happen once in a session. So then it was kind of nice that we'd go somewhere else and be like, oh, nice, we caught the magic in this room too for this thing. And so, yeah, it it once they're all together, it feels like they're a family of songs. Yeah. Had there been like a, a point in the past where like if you'd done all the songs in one place, like you felt like burnt out in that space or in that session? I would say yeah, because like you're always working to be like okay we've got 10 days to do 
this many songs or like most often it'd be like we've got six days to do 10 songs or something right and so you're you're always checking things off a list and you're just you're just getting it done Mm -hmm. and that was kind of our intention when we started this like we're like we have five days at national music center we add an extra day and it became very clear that like we're not going to do like eight songs in this amount of time so let's focus on these four and we'll just we'll just fly the guys out again and we'll finish it later um, and that was the best choice, I think, because it made so much space for magic. And yeah, in the past, I just feel like you're you're checking things off a list and you're just trying to get them done in time. And this gave us so much more time and freedom. Mm-hmm. Yeah, they. Uh, yeah, I remember when we realized we weren't going to finish a record in five days. <laughs> and I'm very, very happy that we didn't try to make yeah, it. Yeah, in four six, I think that's also part of what. I mean, I'm just I'm really, really proud of this record, and I think a big part of that is that we had the time to make sure that everything was how we wanted it. Right, that you didn't feel like like the sword hanging over you or something. Yeah, the guillotine of money. <laughs> Thank goodness for grants. <laughs> uh, thematically on this record, because I mean, timeline wise, you have children that are three and a half. Mm-hmm. Had you written any songs that like came from a place of being a mother prior to this, or like is this kind of the first one where? I think this is the first one. And on Singles EP, I think I touched on a bit of things, but my boys were so little then, like they were I think they were 6 months in March when we started making singles. So so now I've had some time to like f- have new thoughts on things and like adjustment to like what is my role and how do I balance like a, being a professional musician and being a mom and that means being away so much. And so there were there were new like topics and experiences to hit on for sure. And a lot of that had to do with like my role as a mother. Mm-hmm. And I promise I asked this of dads when I yeah, talk yeah. to dads too. This isn't just like a, a gendered question. But I am curious about like the outside impact of like your life pressing in on this aspect of your life and kind of like how you wrestle with that or like do you work things out through song? I mean, I mean, I always kind of have like my music has always been about my experiences and like trying to answer questions and or or just in a therapeutic way. And yeah, like we, it's definitely plays a role. We don't go on tour for like a month and a half in a van anymore. So like this tour, I've got two weeks of Western Canada and then I'm going to go home for two weeks and then we'll do two weeks of Eastern Canada and Eastern U.S. home for two weeks, do some U.K. and Germany home for two weeks. And then I think we have like some more festival season stuff popping up. And so, like, yeah, I have to change how I do this business to the work with, like, so I have time for my kids and my family. And so it's not too hard on, like, my husband to be the only one with twins while I'm away. Like, it's it's a big juggling act. Mm-hmm. And then in terms of, like, the aspect, like, this is the album that you seem to be exploring your Indigenous identity on. Yeah, like, it's all kind of started when I wrote Mixed Blood Girls on the last EP, um, the response was so amazing. I've never really explored writing about my Indigenous experience because as someone who's mixed, it just felt like not that important and not that relevant. But then when I wrote Mixed Blood Girls and so many so many Mixed Blood Girls reached out to me and were like, this is my experience. Like, thank you for writing about it. And I was like, oh, maybe it does matter. And there are people, like the Indigenous identity is such a sprawling spectrum and there's more people to relate to than you think and so I felt more comfortable writing about it and I mean it's a topic that I have never written about so there's tons to go back on um to to feature so like yeah the residential schools stuff like when that but to the first song that we recorded dig me out when that initial 215 were found in Kamloops like that's where my grandmother went to residential school and that was like hugely just like upsetting because I 
you know, we know about that. I knew when I was a child about what happened to residential schools. And I remembered like them trying to like teach it in my hometown, like as if it was like a helpful thing for indigenous kids. And it was like, what? That's not what happened. And when everything came out, how many people in my in my like social media newsfeed who didn't know about it or some who didn't like believe it. And that was so crazy to me. And so I wanted to write a song where um, people realized how connected they actually were to it. Like if you are a friend of mine or a friend of my family or a fan of my music, like you know someone who was impacted by this stuff. Like this is real stuff that you are connected to. Yeah, for me that was definitely like, it was not something that was taught in school when I went to school, but any pictures it seemed like it was like a long time ago. Like it was all like those yeah. like sepia tone black and whites and it felt like totally disconnected. And then to find out like some residential schools were still like operating in the 90s. Yeah. I had the same experience I remember thinking like, oh, like, yeah, it's it's great that all this stuff is so far behind us. And, you know, even if you could, like, <coughs> figure out that it wasn't a good thing, you're like, oh, well, that's so long ago. And it's like, oh, it was literally right there. It's, yeah. it's still there, you know. So, no, that's good. good yeah, one. no, I appreciate you tackling that song Thanks. and, and uh, addressing it. I, was it, like, did you have any trepidation or did you feel like you just like had to express yourself through that? Yeah, I think I just, uh, like, I needed to process it and write something about it and so that just it came the song itself came pretty easily because of that because it was something that was like um i mean like in, i guess it was inspiring but not in a positive way <laughs> right like right. it it sparked it sparked the idea that i should write it and and i i also i wanted to write it in a way that it was like a catchy rock song so that maybe people would hear it first like because like they like like the vibe of the song and then maybe learn something about it a bit kind of spread some awareness and it did really well on radio like on commercial radio and Sirius XM and stuff and I was really surprised um, like happily surprised that it went over so well and so many people like still liked it and could still like listen to it despite the heavy thing that it's actually about right it's like like a like covert mission yeah. to get people to think about it it's like the rock song. bruce springsteen born in the usa or something it's like they're like oh i love this song and then they actually and then they read, read the lyrics, the lyrics. <laughs> yeah. oh wow yeah i mean social protest is a, a long-standing thing and i mean especially like punk music i mean there's kind of like twin twin veins of punk music like 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 anarchist rebellious like let's smash systems and then they'll just like party aspect of it and yeah. I mean like the the spirit yeah. of both is kind of alive in your music I think yeah thank you yeah it totally is uh so after this tour you said like you do a short tour you go home you got lots on the go in terms of the the record itself like do you have kind of like medium term plans for it or is it like where, where are you at in terms of the album cycle let's say uh well we've done <clears throat> we've done so many singles leading up to now so now we're kind of I think like So Mad is the newest one and we're kind of see how that goes. We have a new music video for that. And I think like we're going to do a music video for Bear Kids. It's going to be animated by Sarah Hool from Ghostkeeper, which I'm really excited about because that's a pretty intense song as well. Um, and I speak a lot of Shushwap language in it, which is a new thing for me trying out in music. And I think having the the way that she animates with her art is going to be very special. And that'll probably come out in like August or September. I guess kind of spreading out now celebrating the release and doing little add-ons and playing festivals and touring and that's kind of what you do hey like yeah. <laughs> it's so much build up to an album release and then it's out and then it's like okay then what we're just gonna play a lot and do more videos and live sessions and interviews and kind of 
yeah, just celebrate it that way. What's the best way for people to keep tabs on you? Which which social media is your? I would say Instagram. Yeah, I try to like do the share to Facebook as well. I feel like. There's just more engagement on Instagram. Like, we're all busy on there. And so I think that's the ticket. Our website, though, is always pretty up to date as well, which is MishaAndTheSpanks.net. Before I let you go, I want to get you to pick a track off of the record that we can play the studio version of, just because we were talking about how oh, yeah. different oh, that, the live that we play is. Live as well? Wh- whichever, whatever you want to pick. And we'll, if you have a reason why or an anecdote about it, I'd love to hear that. You're looking at me right you now. You want to pick? You pick. Oh, I get to pick a song? Yeah. Let's pick something that uh, pushed Misha really far outside of her comfort zone, and it's the most punk rock song on the record. And it's called The uh, Grills Are Okay. Are okay. And there's this strumming pattern that people that play punk rock will be very familiar with, but Misha was like, cool, let's figure this out. And it's the first time we've ever done anything that fast. So I was, that's a drum pick. That's the drummer's pick for sure. Frenetic pace. That's Frenetic pace. It is uh, aggressive. And actually, I've got some girls from my girls rock camp in Calgary singing back up on this one. So that's a pretty cool song. Hell yeah. Awesome. Great pick. Uh, thanks very much for coming in, playing live, and sitting down. Thanks. Woo. Thanks for having us.
for all the people sitting out there playing Minecraft. Join a band. Back here on Thank God It's Free Range, right before the break, Misha and Spanx with Girls Are Okay from Unconditional Love in Hi-Fi, the record out on Mint as of last week. My thanks to Misha and the Spanx for uh, coming in earlier this week and recording that session uh, and that interview. Going to switch gears a little bit here before we hand things over to After 8 Radio. I've got some really great contemporary soul and some throwback soul for you before we uh, close things off. Arlo Parks. Love, love, love Arlo Parks. Can't wait for the full length My Soft Machine, but got a new single this week called Blades. We're going to hear that. Uh, we got Danny Kuttner, uh, Israeli by way of Amsterdam R&B singer that I discovered. Uh, her album Purple is amazing, uh, but I found uh, an Analog Sessions version of my favorite track from the record. It's called Limelight featuring Roy Remy on drums. Out of Toronto, Claire Davis with Here Comes the Fall, my favorite track from her new album Get It Right. New single from the Sex Tones, Better Late Than Never. We got 5-1 on True Thoughts with You Go Down Smooth featuring Georgia Blackwell. We got some Elusive, and we're going to close things off with a new electronic track from jazz artist Joe Armand Jones, a collaboration with Maxwell Owen featuring Oh the Ghost. Keep it locked here on 101.5 UMFM. Oh 
your teeth and I'm scared to speak as I catch a whiff of your rose dipped tea. But I, I just don't know what to do.
archetype.